Hey, thanks for listening to the CMC podcast. My name is Noah Tice, and I'm the media director here at CMC. And before we get into our message, I just wanted to plug our young adult ministry, Applied Life Leaders Academy. If you've been listening to us for any amount of time, you'll know that CMC is always about the next generation of leaders. And so Applied Life Leaders Academy has been a major part of our mission for over 37 years. As an alumni of the program, I can tell you that if you know a young person with a call of leadership on their life who has a desire to grow in their personal purpose and ministry, Applied Life is a perfect fit. And for more information, visit AppliedLife.com and follow us on all social media platforms at Applied Life Leaders Academy. And now for a sermon by Pastor Josh Barnett. Well, tonight I have the honor of preaching about John the Baptist, whom I have uh, been likened to some at some points <laughs> in my preaching. Actually, even played him in one of our Easter plays one time. Yeah, it was awesome. It was the only time I've ever worn makeup in my life. I almost went downstairs and put the costume on and thought, if I'm going to preach about him, maybe I'd just dress like him tonight. But uh, that costume's really, really itchy. So, <laughs> In Matthew 11, 11, Jesus describes John the Baptist as the greatest man ever born to a woman. What an honor for Jesus to say that you're the greatest man ever born to a woman. He's an incredible man, an incredible hero of faith that we're looking at tonight, an incredible ministry. I really think a guy that needs to be revered and honored. But I also think if I were to go back in time and put myself in that time period, would I want to be John the Baptist? A man who lived in the desert and ate bugs as they flew by, (laughs) that wore camel's hair. (laughs) would I want to be someone that sat under his ministry (laughs) see I always get the hard guys I got Job and now I got John the give me Chloe got to speak about Esther last week I mean she got royalty give me Esther's life right I'm not a queen I guess but I could be a king Right? Give me Joseph's life. I know Joseph had some hard times, but he ended up becoming one of the most powerful men in the history of the world. Like, give me that guy's story. Right? Yeah, he walked through some storms, but, but, but I got to preach on the guy who spent 20 years in the desert to have a six-month ministry and get his head cut off? Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, I want to be a hero like Joseph. <laughs> what about John? See, John seemingly looks like he went backwards in the eyes of the world. He left a right to a lavish lifestyle as a priest to walk in the wilderness and eat locusts and honey. I'm going to read from Hebrews 11, our faith chapter that we've been going through, because it doesn't mention John the Baptist by name, but it does describe the type of man that he was. But I'm going to begin in verse 33. It says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lion, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. That is not describing John, but give me their story, right? Give, that sounds great. Give me that kind of faith, Lord. I want to overthrow kingdoms. I want to receive people back from the dead. I want to quench flames of fire and shut the, the, the lion's mouth. That's the story. But then you go on 
And it says, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in their order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes and in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. So we see tonight when we open up Hebrews 11 that not all of them are Esther's and Joseph's. Not all of them are Daniel's. But I love the way that it describes these, that they are too good for this world. Are we willing to take the lot that God deals us? Are we willing to accept the role that he has for us? If not, we might be in this faith thing for our glory and not for his. John saw his life, his ministry, his sacrifice as worth it. He saw it as valuable He had the greatest honor in the history of the world, being the man to proclaim the Messiah, God in flesh, Emmanuel. And when we get the revelation that John got about his cousin Jesus, when we see the value of Christ, all the things the world has to offer, we consider them as loss because we get him. We get him. Now, I don't think that God is necessarily calling any of us to take a Nazarite vow and go live in the wilderness. If he does, awesome. Although a lot of people that do that, that I meet, they seem to be doing it for attention, not rather that God called them to do it. God bless them. That's what they want to do. Because, in fact, Jesus himself didn't take this vow. We learn from John and every hero of faith that was destitute, oppressed, mistreated, even killed, is that we just must be willing to lay down everything. Not that he asks us to, all the, every single person to, but we have to live with an open hand, willing to lay down everything for him. Now, John the Baptist, he's a very central figure in the New Testament. He, he's huge in that he bridges the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he's so important that, that Mark, Luke, and John, first thing, start with his ministry. Matthew gets into it after the birth of Jesus, but Mark, Luke, and John all start with the ministry of John. At this point in history, when John comes on the scene, you look at that blank page between Malachi and Matthew, there's been over 400 years of silence. Not one small prophet with one small word. No talk from God at all. And all of that was about to be broken by a voice. A voice that the prophet said would cry from the wilderness, make make the path straight for the Lord, the forerunner for the Messiah. Now, when we're, we're introduced to it, we're going to read out of Matthew in a minute, but in Luke chapter 1, mo- most of Luke 1 is about John the Baptist. It's about his parents, actually. Zechariah would have been a priest, and he actually, they, they, they would cast lots to see who would go into the Holy of Holies and light the incense that day, and then th- and, and this day, particular day that God had ordained, it landed on him, and it may have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This was an honor for a priest to get to go in the Holy of Holies and light the incense. It was an honor. And so it falls on Zechariah and he goes in and he's lighting it. And then it says that he sees the angel Gabriel standing to the right of the incense 
the altar and Gabriel begins to say, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth have been faithful. I know that you're old, but God has heard your prayers and your wife is going to become pregnant. And, and not only is she going to pr come pregnant with just any baby, she's going to come pregnant with the forerunner of the Messiah. Like, wow, what an honor. But then old Zach, I don't know how you see an angel in the Holy of Holies and then go, that can't happen. But that's exactly what he did. Because he said, my wife, now, and I get it, like she was old, she was past the time that she would have been able to give birth, and she had never, they had never had any children, and really, that was kind of looked down upon back in the day if women couldn't have children, but it, I mean, imagine, I mean, my lady's like, she was probably 60 plus, can you imagine getting pregnant? Goodness gracious. <laughs> ladies are going, oh, no, no, we don't want to do that. But, but he questions the angel, and the angel says, listen, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God, and because you refuse to believe me, your mouth is going to be shut for the next nine months. And so he, <laughs> so he goes in, and then he's taken a long time, and then comes out. Just imagine being a priest, and he walks out, and he, you're trying to describe with your hands like what you saw because your mouth is shut. And then imagine going home to your wife and trying to explain that to her with just hand motions. And, but anyway, so she, she gets pregnant and, uh, and he's, he's unable to speak until John is born. And then he's actually even unable to speak until he writes it on a tablet that his name will be John, which is, would have been weird because they would have all been looking to Zachariah to, to name the child and most, most of the time, they named them after themselves. And so nobody in his family was named John. And so this was God showing, like, that showing the people that he was doing something new, that something was different about this kid. And so uh, Zechariah, as soon as he writes that, his mouth is loosed, and then he begins to sing songs of praise. And, I, and when I read that, I go, yeah, you better, buddy, because last time you doubted God. <laughs> you better. <laughs> you better. But Zechariah and Elizabeth were incredible and they were amazing they were great 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 parents and and I love that that even when they weren't getting what they prayed for all the years they remained faithful to God they remained faithful to God and so they're they're heroes of the faith as well and you raise somebody like John the Baptist that Jesus says no man is greater than this guy you got to chalk that up to some of his parents you know, they, you know they, they were able to raise him in such a manner. And, and parents, I want to, every parent in the room, grandparent in the room, I want to let you know, like raising up these little ones, that is our greatest honor. That is our highest calling is to raise up the next generation. We're raising up little heroes. And, and I also love that Zechariah and Elizabeth allowed John to be who God had called him to be. Because they allowed John, they would have gotten some weird looks. Because John would have, should have been trained in this priestly order and lived a lavish lifestyle, probably like his dad did, Zechariah, but he chose to put on camel's hair and go live in the desert. And so like, oh, what's John doing? I, he's in the wilderness. So it, like they would have gotten some strange looks, but what an incredible thing that they allowed him to be who God had called him to be. And I even think about why did John even believe this call on his life? Why did he walk it out? Why did he do it? Why did he trust God in this way? It's because he had parents that raised him in it, that taught him to be faithful in it, that his whole life they were letting him know, you are going to be the forerunner. You are going to get to announce that your cousin Jesus is the Messiah, which is really cool. And actually, he's the first one that recognizes Jesus as the Messiah because when Mary comes up in the womb, man, it says that he leaps with joy when they get close, right? That's incredible. That's a, that, and that's an incredible pro-life verse for us. 
is that babies in the womb recognize moves of God even when they're not in this world yet, which is incredible. And so he leaps, and it says that Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. John the Baptist, from his birth, is a man that is filled with the Spirit and begins to walk in this. Now let's read a little bit about him. I'm going to make you open your Bibles. Turn to Matthew 3. So that's all the, the prelude to how he got here. We're going to read Matthew 3, 1 through 16, and then I'm going to break a lot of it down. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came to Judea, the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem, from all over Judea, all over the Jordan Valley, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. And, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. So right away, I love this, just hellfire and brimstone, just bringing it. Don't, <laughs> I like this guy. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the ax of God's judgment is poised and ready to sever the roots of the tree. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Wow, let's go. Those are the messages I was raised on right here. I baptize you with water, but those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater, I'm not worthy to even be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with a never-ending fire. Okay, let's talk about this. Oh, wait, let's read this right here too. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John talked to him out. John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So let's talk about John's ministry here. Obviously, he, was a, he lived a life in the wilderness. Many scholars believe that he might have lived as much as 20 years in the wilderness and that his ministry might have been as short as six months. Crazy. Because I meet a lot of people who go to school for six months and then think that they can preach for 20 years, but John did it backwards. He went and was, he was went and taught by the Spirit of God. It actually reminds me of a story uh, uh, that Paul told one time about a guy that came to him and wanted to be a pastor. And Paul told him, give me 10 years of your life and then you'll be, you can be a pastor. But the guy's like, no way, I'm not going to give you 10 years of my life. And then he came back 10 years later and said, Paul, I, I wish I would have listened to you. Because there's something that happens in, this, in that secret place, in that wilderness, where you're not, where, where, God, I'm willing for you to prepare me before I step up on the stage, before I proclaim this thing to the people. But I, I, I love that this life in the wilderness, this camel's hair, this locust and honey, why did he dress like this? Why did he live this way? And the reason that he did was to stress the importance and the necessity of his message. 
Because it would have caught people off guard. Like there's somebody preaching in the wilderness with conviction and he's dressing like a crazy man and he doesn't cut his hair. And I saw him eating bugs the other day. Like, like this dude is nuts and he's just screaming at us as we walk by. Like we're just trying to get to the next town and this crazy man is screaming at us that the kingdom of God is at hand, that we need to repent of our sins. What in the world? He, he lived out of necessity because it was a demonstration of the importance of his message. He lived out of necessity because it was a demonstration of the importance of his message. I also want to say this too, is that John, he, he's actually called the last of the Old Testament prophets. John is showing us, he, it's, he's, he's even like, he, he himself is a type and shadow of this is passing away. You're no longer going to have to live in the wilderness. So like even Jesus talks about later, is like you saw John out there and that you thought he was crazy because he abstained from wine and good food, but you called me a drunkard and a glutton. See, Jesus didn't take that vow and Jesus didn't w live in the wilderness. Jesus actually got, he actually, he actually got blessed quite a bit, but it, he was, even John and Jesus are types and shadows of the old covenant and the new covenant. Does that make sense? So, so I think this is really cool. He's showing us that like, all of the law, all of the Old Testament, he's showing all of the prophets behind me, all of the scriptures you have memorized, they're all pointing towards the man that's coming, okay? So I love this, assemble the old covenant pointing towards the new covenant. And he's, in the, he's actually in the wilderness close to the Jordan River where they would have crossed through with Joshua to conquer the promised land, which is also a really cool thing. And so it's almost, it's type and shadow too of like when they came through the Jordan River to conquer Israel, that they were being baptized into their calling. And John is bringing them out there to baptize in that and then and showing them, I'm setting up a new type of priesthood here, which is really, really awesome. Wilderness, desert, it's where the law was given. The Old Testament law and the prophets, they all pointed ahead to the new covenant that was way better than the old covenant. You also see John he never performed miracles. He lived in the desert. He took a Nazarite vow. He baptized with water for sin. Then you get to Jesus, lots of miracles, new life, called a drunken, a drunk, a drunkard and a glutton, and he baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire for power. Now, I do want to preface that Jesus was not a drunkard and a glutton. They just saw him with these people. They saw other people that were drunkards and gluttons, but Jesus also, he partook in their parties. He partook in what was going on, but he, Jesus wasn't getting drunk. I just want to lay that out there. He was, <clears throat> but what Jesus was showing is that, uh, and I, I love this too, because it, the drinking and the gluttony right there is showing us like, hey, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And he was actually showing us like, I'm, I'm bringing my blood and I'm bringing my body is what this new covenant is going to be. And John was eating bugs, but you get to eat this bread. Because man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so it was all type and shadow of everything that was going on here. John was, John was preparing the way. He was preaching the gospel. He was preaching the gospel to prepare Israel for the coming of her king. He was a messenger, a herald to declare the coming of Jesus. And in his message, he's preaching repentance. His focus was to get people aware of their sin and their need for a savior. Repent, and, and, and I want to focus on this too because he was preaching a gospel of repentance. Literally what he's telling these people to do is like, get rid of your sin. 
so like whenever kings or um, Caesar or an emperor or whoever, they would send out a forerunner to make the path straight to get it ready. They literally would go out and they would actually level roads. They would actually move things out of the way. They would actually do things to make it a smooth path for the person coming in. And so what John was doing is he was preparing the people's hearts. He was moving things out of the way. That's, that's why I love... So oftentimes when I preach, I do a response time at the end. The reason that I'm doing that is because I'm proclaiming a gospel, calling people unto repentance. I've been, I've been breaking up fallow ground in the hearts of anybody who would listen. And so preparing the way for someone to receive a message from Jesus, to receive the good news from the Messiah himself. So that's what John is doing in this repentance, getting people to, hey, be aware of your sin, come wash in this water, which... Is, is, is funny because all of the people would have known like, hey, we don't just get washed in water. There's also supposed to be a sacrifice. Where's the lamb, John? He was getting people overly aware of like, hey, we're broken, we're messed up, this law can't save us, and, and you're telling me that there's a Messiah that's coming that's going to set us free. He's making the way ready. He's getting the people's hearts ready for salvation. He's getting them aware of the fact they couldn't save themselves. That's why the gospel always has to include our need for a savior. The gospel always has to include that we are sinners, that we are enemies of God. And I know that that, that is going to be offensive to a world and a culture that doesn't, they, they want to be able to do whatever they want. They don't want to be called the sinner. But the reality is, is that we are all sinners. We have all broken the law of God. We have all crossed him. Romans 1 lays it out very clear that we've all pointed at the creator and said, we don't want you, we want your stuff. And we all have to be very aware of that we have broken the law of God and we need a savior. We need someone who can set us free from the power of that sin, who can forgive that sin. <clears throat> He's also announcing judgments on the ones who wouldn't accept him as king. And judgment was coming. Jesus, just go through one time and read the Gospels and focus on all the times that Jesus was pronouncing judgment on the people of Israel. He talked about it a lot. And judgment came when Jesus said, There will not be one stone on top of another. That happened. It happened in AD 70. Rome came in and wiped them out. And listen, they asked for it. Literally, they asked for it. When they said crucify him, they said let his blood fall on us and our children. Oof. God, doesn't, God does not let sin go unpunished. Now thank God for believers, Jesus took the punishment. Woo! But the ones who didn't believe they faced God's wrath through Rome coming in and overthrowing them. <laughs> so when he's saying, there's one coming after me who's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost, that's awesome. That's Pentecost. Hallelujah. Amen. That's incredible. And fire? He meant fire. He meant fire. He, when he said he's coming with a winnowing fort to separate the ones who believe and don't believe, he did it. He did it. 
So that's why he says to you, the Pharisees, you brood of snakes, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming judgment? The ax is already being laid to the root. This system that you worship, this burden that you put on the backs of people, keeping them far to God, God has raised his ax and that judgment is coming on what you've done. Oof, tough. And they didn't listen. What's incredible about this with him being the forerunner of Christ is we are now, this is one thing that we learned from John the Baptist, we're now forerunners for his second coming. We're now forerunners for a second coming. We, with the Holy Spirit, are preparing the globe for the coming of the Messiah. The most repeated, you'll never forget this, the most repeated Old Testament verse in the New Testament. If it's the most repeated, quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament, it might be really important. Psalms 110.1. It's the father saying to the son, sit here while I make all of your enemies your footstool. Because Jesus, he won the victory. Now he's seated next to God. And now God is at work through the spirit and the bride to make the planet ready for the coming of the Messiah. Come on. Because you get to the end of Revelation and who tells, who tells the bridegroom to come? The spirit and the bride. The spirit and the bride, we are currently at work in the earth being forerunners for him, getting the earth ready for its wedding day, for our wedding day with him. He said to make disciples of all nations. That's what we're doing. We're the forerunners of his second coming. How do we do this? By preaching the gospel, by doing the same thing John did, by preaching repentance, by being set apart from the world like he was. That doesn't mean that we have to go do all these things on the outside, but like our hearts have turned towards him. We've been, and we're set apart. We no longer participate and evil deeds, but we expose darkness. We're going to look at more of that in just a second. So much so that we're willing to lose our heads over it. When we, when we live this way, watch the paths be straightened. Watch lives be transformed. Watch the world begin to be pulled out of darkness. John also came in the spirit of Elijah. We see this several times. Spirit of Elijah. Elijah preceded Elisha. You got the, the half portion and the double portion. So you see type and shadow again there with both of them. But he came in the spirit of Elijah. The spirit of Elijah is to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. We don't see John preaching this ever, but what he was preaching would cause this to happen. But ultimately, I want you to see this, that John caused the hearts of the children to turn to the father. That's what, that's what the spirit of Elijah is. He came as Elijah just like Elijah came before Elisha, and then Jesus was the better. Jesus was the double portion that came in. I love in John chapter 3, Jesus begins to describe himself as the best man. He begins to describe himself. That, so one thing I want us to notice here is like we're never trying to get people, we're never pointing people to us. Like my goal is not to make you a fanboy of Josh. My goal is to hopefully I get out of the way and that you remember Jesus. That's the goal. It's all, church, the church's job is to point people to Jesus. It's not, about, it's not about our ministry, it's about his ministry. It's, about, it's all about him, and that was John. Because whenever John's disciples came to him, and like, hey, Jesus' disciples are baptizing more people than we are. And his response was, good. Our ministry must become less and less, and he must become more and more. He's taken over this thing, guys. And then you begin to see John, the Baptist disciples, leave, rightfully leave him and go follow Jesus. His whole point was pointing to Jesus. We must follow suit. It's not about us. It's not about our ministry. It's about Jesus. Ministry 
any kind of ministry, any church, any whatever, it's only successful when it's about him. It's only successful when it's about pointing people to him because he's the bridegroom, he's the king, he's the Messiah. And so the language John uses here would just be as silly as the best man at a wedding trying to take the spotlight from the bride and the groom. That's not our job. Our job is to stand there and support what he is doing. Jesus Christ is the one that builds his church. So we've got to point people to him. And I'm going to make you turn here just because this is the best verse ever, most powerful, incredible thing. I really wish that we had a, a longer time to go into how this would have been the most shocking thing ever. But John chapter 1, John chapter 1, remember I said he was getting people aware of their sins. They were being baptized. They were confessing their sins. They, so it was all, everybody's garbage was out in the open. No more fake. Well, everybody was, it was getting out there. And I think sometimes we don't understand the magnitude of John's ministry. Low end, he baptized around 250,000 people. High end, he baptized like 2 million people. It's, it's not like, it wasn't a small deal. Like, this guy's ministry blew up. Like, incredible, like amazing. It was a lot. Like, everybody knew about John. That's why the Pharisees were coming out and saying, hey, dude, we got to bring a report back. Who are you? Because everybody knows about you. Even the leaders knew about him. Herod Antipodus knew about him, which we're going to talk about here in a second too. Like it was a big ministry. Now, obviously, he himself wasn't baptizing that many people. He had a lot of disciples that were also doing it. But I mean, that's what they're doing all day long. And people confessing sin, confessing sin, confessing sin, confessing sin. So, we're, so where's the lamb? Verse 26, John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Tim mentioned this a couple weeks ago. This was no, this, lambs used to just cover sin. It was atonement. It was kind of like, all right, you put it under the blanket, God can't see it anymore. But this, the blood of this lamb is going to take away your sin. Where you're, you're no longer going to be stained by it, you're going to be completely washed clean. And so everybody should rejoice every time we read this verse or hear this verse preached. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Come on, let's go. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love this. So John... In all of this, that was his ministry, pointing people to Jesus. But I also want you to see, too, he, he did confront the religious leaders. We, and, and we've got to do that, too. Like, we've got, to, we've got to confront false teaching. We've got to confront false teaching. Everybody's like, well, you just got to be nice. You got to be kind. You got to be whatever. Well, they're preaching the name of Jesus. Listen, you can preach the name of Jesus and then say some really terrible, awful things. You can completely twist even the devil appears as an angel of light. And so faithful churches have got, to be, have got to be bold enough like John to call out unfaithful churches, to call out ones who aren't standing, to call out ones who are perverting the true faith. This would have been uncomfortable. It would have been unpopular, but he was calling them out. And it's, we've got to see this. It is not a jerk to say the truth. It's not unkind. It's actually the most kind thing that you can do to speak the truth the most loving thing that you can do to speak the truth. 
We must confront false teaching today and call them to repentance. He also called people, turn real quick to Luke 3. I already passed Chloe's time. She would already had y'all, y'all been halfway home already. Luke 3, he also called your average person to righteousness. He confronted the religious leaders. Now he is calling your average person to righteousness. Look in verse chapter 3, verse 10 of Luke. The crowds ask, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations. Be content with your pay. Everyone, that, that's it right there. That, but what he was showing, this is, you've got to show that your repentance is real. It's, it's faith and works. They're married together. You can't just say that you're saved. You have to prove it by the way that you live. That's what salvation transforms your life. It doesn't leave you the way that you were before. It's not just a change of words out of our mouth. It's a change of heart, a change of behavior. He's calling people to bear fruit. He's telling people, if you've truly repented, live like it. Live like it. Turn to, I got you going all over the place. Turn to Matthew 11. Got my last couple points here. So this is what it, mainly his ministry looked like. But I want to look real quick. What happened after his ministry? What happened as his ministry was winding down, as it seemingly was getting halted? Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished, verse 1, when Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in the towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison... He was arrested by Herod Antipodus because he was calling out the sin that he was living in. We'll look at more of that in a second. Heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? This is John the Baptist asking Jesus this. What in the, you just said, behold the lamb, dude. What in the world? You've got to understand... John the Baptist would have been on his disciples' page. They would have thought Jesus was coming in as a ruling, conquering leader, as a politician that was going to overthrow Rome. And so all of this that John the Baptist is going through, he's looking at it, it's like, dude, I'm in prison. I'm hungry. Like, what, what's going on here? I announced that you were coming. What's changed? Because it doesn't feel like anything's changed. And this is what Jesus says. Go back to tell John, tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. And as that would have been shared with John the Baptist, he would have recognized, oh, the Old Testament did speak of all of those things happening. Maybe I had a misconception of what was going on. Our, we've got to be sure, too, that when things don't turn out the way that we thought, that we remember it above all, we're just called to be faithful to Christ, regardless of the outcome. He didn't lose his faith. He just had a misconception about who Jesus was, and so he was verifying, and Jesus verified it for him. Now go to Matthew 14. For sake of time, I'm not going to read it, but it's found in Matthew 14, verses 1 through 12. He calls out Herod Antipodus. Herod would have been the Jewish king of the region, and he 
took his brother's wife. He actually left his own wife, took his brother's wife, who was Herod Philip, and, uh, and her name was Herodias, and takes her and begins sleeping with her, and John begins to call that out and say, you're a Jewish man, you're supposed to be this king, this, this leader that Rome has set up, people like you, you can't live this way. Because of that, Herod puts him in prison, and then, but, but Herodias, she is, she's ticked. You know, hell hath no fury. Like a woman who's mad. <laughs> right? <laughs> she has... This is where it gets creepy and weird, but she has her stepdaughter come in and dance for him, and he's so pleased with it that he says, ask me for anything, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And so she goes to her mom, she's like, what should I ask for? And she says, ask for that guy, John the Baptist's head on a platter. He regrets it because he actually liked John, but he, he can't go back on his word. He'll be embarrassed, so he has his head cut off and brought to him, and this is kind of the end of John that we see here. John the Baptist, this is the, my last point here, John the Baptist loses his head because he confronts the governmental rule. He confronts the governmental leaders. John the Baptist understood that the law of God is supposed to rule everything. The religious leaders, the average person, and political leaders. That's why he, call, he goes into every sphere of society. So should our Christianity. We invade every part of society. Our faith causes us to get involved in politics. If we abandon politics, what religion takes over? And actually, the church slowly abandoned. We've let them take things from us. And now we're seeing the result of that, of a, secular, a secularism take its place. If we abandon politics, who rules? We've got to be willing to lose our heads by calling our governmental leaders. And, and listen, <laughs> I get it. I don't want to vote for the guy either. But he's the guy that lines up most with Scripture. I don't want to vote for her either, but she's the one that lines up most with Scripture. And so stop waiting for Jesus Christ to return to run for president because he's not. When he returns, there won't be presidents anymore. Right? <laughs> stop waiting for your pastor to run for office. He's shepherding you. Pray that God would raise up godly men and women to take, but listen, you may not like their personality. You may, you may not like what they tweet, but my goodness, if they're pro-life, vote them in. If they're pro-border, vote them in. God is pro-border. He is for the nations. Well, we can't be Christian nationalists. Yes, we can. We're not Christian imperialists where we just go around conquering people for no reason but we're Christian nationalists, we, do, we can have pride in our nation. But if, and listen, you, everybody is for borders because everybody locks their doors at night. It's not that we don't like the immigrant, we just want them to do it the right way, the legal way. But also, like, if they come in, and if you're okay with the border being open, let's let them stay at your house. Listen, it's, and, and I know it sounds heartless, but there is a demonic agenda that is trying to bring America to its knees and cut its head off. And the, the people of God have to be like John the Baptist and stand up and say, no more. No more. We let them take prayer out of school. We let them take the Ten Commandments out of school. The judge literally said, students might read the Ten Commandments and then want to obey it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. 
If you abandon politics, was like, well, you know, we're just supposed to preach the gospel. Right. Do you know who Paul preached the gospel to? He stood at court and he preached the gospel to two kings that were in front of him. He called, what does the gospel always include? Repentance of sin. We are called to invade these places. We live in this constitutional republic that has given us this incredible ability to vote. I didn't know I was going to rant so much about politics tonight, but I want you to see that John, I guess I'm in the right church. John, I don't know, there may be some people in here that are off with his head. John calls out, the, he calls out the king, and he's not rebuked for it. It doesn't say that he did a wrong thing. There's no like, hey, stay in your lane. Jesus even told his disciples, don't be influenced by the leaven of Herod. Who? Your governmental leader. Your governmental leader. We are called as the people of God to call for moral, moral reform. When people say, like, well, you're just supposed to focus on the Bible. I am. You're clearly not. Well, just focus on Jesus. Right. Christianity, right. On the, people's like, oh, I came to hear about Jesus, not politics. Which, and that right there is why our nation is where it is right now. That's why we don't know what gender we are. That's why we're teaching kindergartners. Listen, I got a message coming. I've been working on one. And it's coming in June when we start, when people start hanging rainbow flags everywhere. We're going to redeem it. We've got to be able to call these things out. We've got to call out the darkness in our, and, it, and I'm, I'm not do, it's, I'm not trying to be unkind. Like I know that we're dealing with people. I know that we wa don't wage war against flesh and blood. But when you're performing sex changes on 12 year olds, and you're, take, you're going to come and take the, in Washington, they just passed this week, that you, they could take your kid away if you deny them the right to, to hormone blockers or to, to gender. Re, like, we have got to call out sin. We've got to stand on the word of God. Jesus had a huge opinions on the governing of people. When people say, I came to hear about Jesus, not politics, what they mean is a feel-good message to encourage them, not one that would challenge them to do anything. Okay, I got to be done. It's 8.05. Okay. Don't, listen, don't give up. We don't quit. We hold the line. We hold the line when we confront religious leaders, when we confront governmental leaders. We hold the line for the gospel when we call people to repentance. We hold the line on what sin is and on what righteousness is. And even if it doesn't feel successful, even if we even if we don't see anything changed and they cut our heads off for it, one second into glory will be all worth it. John the Baptist was in prison one second and the next second he was standing before his father who, was set, who said, enter good and faithful servant. That's what our aim is. Y'all stand with me. God, help us to be like John the Baptist. Help us to be forerunners, Lord, to pattern our lives like him. Not, not necessarily that we're wearing camel's hair and living in the wilderness or anything like that, but, but bold and courageous, full of the Spirit of God, declaring your righteousness, your goodness, your kindness, that we would have the strength to do what you've called us to do, that we would stand firm on your word, 
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your law. We thank you for your spirit that empowers us to walk like, talk like, live like Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing in this ministry. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless church. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.